Before we start, welcome to the genuine sound of an actual English literature lecturer issuing something that could be described as a content warning. Some of the stuff we discuss in this episode, you may want to be aware that it's coming up. So around about 47 minutes in, we mention a joke about Jimmy Savile. And later on, about 55, 56 minutes in, because we're discussing a controversial joke by Frankie Boyle, the subject of sexual assault and violence comes up, and we talk about that for about seven minutes. If you'd prefer not to hear that, please do just skip ahead. There's plenty of swearing throughout, but you probably know that anyway. Enjoy. So, as you might remember from our last broadcast, we are looking for a new leader of the podcast after the previous management became increasingly untenable. When the herd moves, it moves. And I feel that now is the time to throw my hat in the ring for that role. And my hat is also in the ring. My big furry hat that makes me look a little bit like Margaret Thatcher, that is. Well, my hat cost five million billion pounds um, because I'm incredibly wealthy, but I will say my wife has now bravely chosen to pay taxes in this country, so that's not why I've got a really nice hat. This podcast needs to change, and I plan to end the invidious policy of 18th century corner, which I believe has exerted a stranglehold on our production for too long. And I pledge to crack down on low-value sections of the podcast. It is morally... Crack down, <laughs> I'm going to do. It's morally wrong. Crack down. Morally wrong. The hard-working families have to listen to this podcast, and I pledge to make it easier for working families who currently play for Spotify Premium to access Spotify Premium for a reduced price via a one-off payment to all households who currently pay for Spotify Premium. Well, how will that work for the listeners who don't pay for it currently? I am committed to it, and under my it's morally leadership, wrong. I'm committed to it. It's morally wrong. You need to get the job done. I'm committed <laughs> to it, and under my leadership, in the first 100 days, I will ensure that we deal with the backlog of draft episodes that have built up under the current leadership. Hang on, hang on a minute. What? Well. Whilst we're having this argument, and we are both manifestly pretty much the same thing as the thing that's being got rid of anyway, like literally, um, everything else is going to shit. Like, all the time we're doing this, we're not talking about satire, we're not interviewing anyone, there's all kinds of problems going on, and we're just focusing on this silly little competition between the two of us. And God knows where the actual people are who are still nominally in charge of this podcast. Yeah, uh, those hashtag fat punces need mm. to hashtag get back to work. And mm. I believe that one of them genuinely has gone to a Greek island recently. So let's shout it at them. Shout it loud, shout it clear in a Greek supermarket somewhere and hope they hear. Get, Get back, back to, to work, work, you, you fat punces! So, um... <laughs> So, uh, how was your holiday in Greece? <laughs> <laughs> it was good, apart from when I went to that supermarket and uh, everyone from your from work turned up and uh, told me to get back to work for being a fat punts. But apart from that, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, are you ashamed about your previous leadership of the podcast at all? <laughs> uh, or does that not factor into your new leadership bid? No, um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> good. Well, when you were on holiday, uh, you were reading the books for a big summer satirical challenge. Yes, yes, I was. I was going to ask this, actually. You know when you read a book in mm -hmm. a really hot place? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like often the glue that sticks the pages together starts to kind of... The pages fall out and you're sitting there reading it and is the this, first two chapters are just in your hand. Is this, a, is this about the books I lent you? 
Oh. One of them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Um, the plot. Okay, well, that's I'll fine. Replace no, it. no, that's fine. Um, that's fine. As long as it's not. Well, it's in Thailand now. Still. Yeah, okay. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But do you think that if we still stitched books together, like in the 18th century, that wouldn't happen when people took books on holiday? I'm sure is it, it wouldn't is happen. Is it like modern glue that does that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Sh- I'm sure it wouldn't it's happen. It's the glue that fails to hold everything it together. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, it's the cheap, cheap. Like the way we produce books now. This is not a news flash, but. Um, Everything we do in our super convenient society is much cheaper and shoddier than it was in the past, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, the, the big expensive productions of books sewn together of the 18th century could endure a trip to Greece, they could endure pretty much anything. I mean, that's why yeah. we've still got them laying around, yeah. isn't it? Like a yeah. 1970s Penguin Classics, is, if you pick it up, no, not Penguin, what are, they, what are the orange ones? Penguin. Yeah, okay. One of the <laughs> classic orange Penguin books. The paper's made out of acid, which is dissolved out of the paper. They're right. pretty much destroying themselves. Yeah. Whereas an 18th century book looks brand new. Well, I mean, it's a massive shame for future generations that there won't be um, loads of copies of Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You, lying uh, around. But um, Maybe it's for the best. Yeah, well, this, that was this the point. Novel I was being satirical. This novel will self-destruct yeah. after one summer holiday. Um, but yeah, we were going to be talking about those, those books. books, but yeah. we're not, are we? Yeah, we're just going to talk about them in a very literal way. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, too much... <laughs> literally about the glue that holds them together rather than the plot that holds yeah. together. Too much has happened, I think, in the world of comedy. I mean, we've been getting messages from people, haven't we, saying, have you th- have you got anything to say about this and this and this? And every time we get one, there's another one comes yeah. in. And even my mum sent me one, yeah. who do- isn't a particular avid fan of comedy, mm-hmm. she certainly doesn't follow it in the news, sent me one. So we're going to talk about that. Um, a bit of a summer roundup. Just a little roundup. summer roundup. A summer roundup, yeah. A summer roundup. But before that, obviously, listeners... And we, we are going to do the books one for our September episode, That's right, we? it's still coming. Yeah. So you've got a little bit longer to read those books, actually. That's I've good finished them news. all. Not you, I mean the listener. Oh, yeah, the listener. <laughs> okay. Oh, listeners. I forgot our about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah our listeners. Um, uh, yeah, but before the music, obviously, that was a parody. It's a really mm. joke of the podcast, isn't it? We're parodying what's happening mm. in the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom, uh, which is? Um, well... It's the leadership debate between Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Mm. It's the missing in action of Boris Johnson, who may or may not have been seen and heckled Mm. on his holidays in Greece. Um, And just the general shit show of it all, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's not generated that much satire that I've seen, but that's because it doesn't seem worthy of even commentary. Like, there are two candidates that nobody seems particularly fond of saying very bland things. And, but as we were alluding to... Well, the they're not all bland, are they? Some of them are half-witted and deranged. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but then, compared, compared to what? Like, it's just... Mm. It's all just... Uh, the only thing that they seem to succeed in doing, as we were alluding to, is damage the, their reputation of their own party, which was already yeah. fairly toxic for people who pay attention. So there's not been that much satire around it. Mm. Um but they have themselves attempted to use comedy in their cause in some striking and, I would say, disturbing ways. <laughs> OK, what's disturbed you most? The Nadine Doris rap. I know it's not either of them, okay. but this is something that's come out of the Tory party in the last few weeks. Yeah, that, well, that's a, that's a bit longer This ago, is how we're improving online mm. safety. The UK is passing some new legislation to make the internet safer for the younger generation. It's effectively a framework to protect internet users from scams, illegal content and anonymous abusers. It will force big tech to stop their terms being breached and puts in measures to defend free speech. But is it true it will impact freedom of expression? No, we put in legal protections in the 19th section. Another thing we're 
passing. Well, that's enough for that, but yeah. how I mean, on I earth think, do you explain that? I, don't, I know, I mean, I think it, it's been around a while, but, um, well, a couple of months, but it, yeah, it, it's insane. It's, it's just so bad. It, and because there's no... There's no attempt to kind of change the language apart from to make things rule. No, we've put in protections in the 19th section. Like, the the register of what she's saying is still the way it would be if she was just saying it or writing it in a paper, I think. Mm. And so if it were anyone else, you'd think the joke there, like if it was Flight of the Concords or something, you think the joke is that they're using the register of like a formal document, but they're doing it in a different format or indeed um if it was south park which we'll mm-hmm. get on to later but i think she just she just thinks that putting that music to the background of it mm. sort of automatically and some emojis on the screen thinks that automatically makes it cool and it is like if you walked into a lecture and you were like welcome to my lecture on aurora floyd in the first section i'm going to be talking about the phenomenon of the sensation novel and and you just thought that that was enough <laughs> And that it wouldn't make everyone die of cringe. But yeah, but then do you think that 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 what she's saying in the video has got much more exposure because she set it to music and put it on TikTok than it would have done otherwise? I mean, yeah, but nobody was talking about the content. Were they? No. Were they were talking about what a, a deranged fool Nadine Doris is? No, I'm just reminded of. I remember reading once that there that there there are people, and it's probably a Dominic Cummings thing in the Tory Party who are interested in you know, obviously they're using social media and trying to find ways that these platforms mm. can disseminate their messages, and there are. There is extracts from Boris Johnson's speeches set to music, right? Like set to like rap music that you can listen to. Good lord! Um, yeah, and uh, so there's something going on there. I mean, I, I mentioned to you the other day, not in the podcast, just in our, in our lives. That I've been watching this TV program called The Boys, mm. and there's a character in that who uh, really like to try and manage the reputation of another character and various other characters and further her agenda, which is actually a legitimately Nazi agenda. She's from World War II. As long as it's legitimately Nazi, no, I mean, not, not some sort of faux Nazism. She's, she's, she's committed, that's she's, fine. Yeah, she's like, yeah, she's a, legit. She's a, she's a, she's a legit she, Nazi. She was a Nazi cool. from World War II. Um, Good for her. But she furthers her goals by designing these memes and releasing mm. them into, and they actually name check like Reddit and stuff. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a great line in it where she says, People do like my politics; they just don't like the word Nazi. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I wonder if there's a similar thing here, like, mm. or there's an attempt at it, possibly an unsuccessful. Maybe attempt. I don't, Is it? Could it just be as basic as that she thinks that's what the kids like? Because also, you know, it's on TikTok, isn't it? Mm. And there's a general sense that if you want to get it out to to the youth, you put it on TikTok. But do they really care about that? I don't message? know. I don't know. And she could um, be she could be attempting the Boris Johnson maneuver as well. Like you yeah. know, of making herself. I'm so dumb. I'm a I'm comedy no character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about Rishi Sunak's Brexit delivery department? Yeah. So. So, yeah, Rishi Sunak's Brexit delivery department. Do you want to? I don't think it plays terribly well no. on audio. Do you want to kind of tell the listeners what, in case they haven't seen this? What's yeah. Going so on it's here? a one minute, one second video. A man whose face we don't see. I think it. I think we're at least meant to think it's Rishi mm. Sunak, and. Um, so he walks into a room, doesn't he? What happens next? He walks into a room, he pulls out some boxes, he d- drops some boxes, puts some boxes on the table, goes to the corner, <gasps> he does a big sign. The boxes sign. are really heavy. Yeah, yeah, and irritating for him. Mm. And then he pulls out a shredder and he starts to shred the documents and then it comes up and it says on the screen, 
that in the first 100 days as Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will reveal or appeal post-Brexit sorry will review or appeal (laughs) post-Brexit EU laws (laughs) whilst he's this is whilst the video is of him shredding them and Mm. then it it gives you a number doesn't it and he cracks his knuckles like really loudly let's get down to business it's as loud annoying and inappropriate as somebody eating an apple on a podcast Mm. I'd say he cracks his fingers and it says he's going to repeal all the laws review or repeal them all 2,400 of them Mm -hmm. and then the the jingoistic patriotic music kicks in and it says on the screen keep Brexit safe vote Rishi Sunak today keep Brexit Brexit safe safe. we'll stop the Remainers from reversing it but if we could do that I'm pretty sure everyone including the people who want it would at this point because it's uh, yeah yeah, so uh, so the video the premise of the video I suppose is it meant to be funny? I think it must be it's really hard it? to be sure isn't it what yeah. he thinks that is because the the main thing that's funny about it is like how low budget and shit it is isn't that's it that's what you like can't... it's too long there's too much pause yeah. it's like nobody knows how to edit it yeah she says on this podcast <laughs> um yeah i mean it's piss poor but is it funny <sighs> It's like I think it is funny because it's piss poor, mm. and, but uh, but I also do wonder. Maybe I'm giving too much credit if they know that as well. Like people are going to share this and be like, "Oh God, look at this homemade video that Rishi Sunak's made." What a twat! Because is. because they did this. This happened in the last um, local elections, didn't it? There, there's always videos like some council mm. produced some really shonky video. Yeah. Um. But even like the point of the video is what he's going to shred all these laws, laws that like I know I sound like protect a protect our employment like, rights. And, yeah, yeah. Or like make sure that you don't use dangerous voltage of yeah. when you're plugging stuff in. Yeah. Yeah, but presumably, if there must be some comedic aspect to it, I just can't. Why? Why would you do that? I think he just thinks it's good. Wow. I know. Hashtag ready for, and that's the number for Rishi, yeah. because the young people, they like to use numbers, <sighs> they don't do, they, instead yeah. of words sometimes. See you later. Yeah. Love you. L-U-V-U. Letter U. Forever. Ever. For E-V-A. I've got a friend who's committed to still writing messages like that. It's quite sweet. But it is bizarre sometimes. But yeah. Interestingly, I noticed the the one from his account had 308 retweets, but 4,337 quote tweets. So they yeah, that's the negative. ratio and a half. Yeah, what kind of stuff? A are ratio they? and a half can you have that. Is it people saying yeah. yes? Let's get let's keep Brexit safe. What happens if you click it? Uh, the quote tweets. I'm going to guess they're mostly oh, scathing. We'll never know. So, that's so yes, the mad mad old shit going on, isn't there? Yes. Um, let's talk about it. Speaking of mad old shit, do you want to do some housekeeping? Yes. Yeah, so this, yeah, if you got a, this podcast, if you're for if this front of the podcast, you must realise you're listening to Smith and Ward talking about satire? mostly mostly talking about satire, yeah. the form, function, future, and history of satire. satire. Yeah. In an ongoing bid to uh, talk. About satire forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm Joe War, senior lecturer in 19th century literature, and what are you? I'm Adam Smith, and uh, I work on 18th century literature. In what role? Associate professor. Wow, well done, everybody. <laughs> um, take a moment to uh, offer your congratulations to Adam. Who, who? I think it isn't it. Associate to the professor. Associate to an associate. That's a joke. I'm being like oh, in the office. Thank you very much. I think we should say it in the, in keeping with how we've always done it. Senior lecturer. I think we should always put a lot of emphasis on the associate, associate professor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the opposite, isn't it? It's like not yeah. full professor. Yeah. Associate that was my point. Professor. I was yeah, going to very yeah, much very try and hammer that home. And so in this episode, we're very much thinking about the present. We are of satire, aren't we? And we a are. bit the form and function, but a not c- really. A couple of big history. stories, but before but we a get, bit of history. Yeah. Just before we get into that, there was something that that I found in my research recently uh, that I thought you, that, that mm. is relevant yes I'd just like to invite you 
back in for the first time in a long time to Adam's 18th Century Corner. Adam's 18th Century Observation Corner. I don't want to. <laughs> you have to. All right. <laughs> so, yes, okay. I've been doing some work recently and it involved me reading Jonathan Smith's treatise on polite conversation in 1704 where it's a satirical tract and he's making fun of the vogue for polite conversation and as is the case with a lot of Tory satire at the time he's suggesting that people who speak politely and act with polish are dissemblers really it's mm. not it's like it's not necessarily a great thing to be polite all the time that that is a massive i've really dumbed that down mm. but anyway he ends up talking a lot about the language of the ton which the made ton. me think exactly which made me think of you in the podcast yeah. and the previous conversations we've had about bridgerton um so this is just an extract from it. 1704 he wrote this. Besides several world besides several words which scholars pretend are derived from Greek and Latin, but now paired into a polite sound by ladies, officers of the army, courtiers and templars, such as and then he gives this list of of terms that people in the time use. They use the word geometry for geometry, verdi for verdict, laird for lord, larning for learning. Why, how is it any easier to say verdi than verdict? Verdi. That's like you're saying I'm going to work instead of work, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, my, I think he's making that I've up. I've got my verdi coming out. I think, yeah. well, that's, yeah, we'll talk about that. Mm. Together with some abbreviations exquisitely refined as POZ, P-O-Z-Z for positive, MOB for mobile, FIS for... mobiles then? Apparently. That's amazing. FIS for physiognomy, REP for reputation... Plenipo for plenipotentiary. Yeah, I waste so much of my life saying plenipotentiary. <laughs> Incog for incognito. Hips or hippo for hypochondriac. Bam for bamboozle. And bamboozle for God knows what, whereby much time is saved and the high road to conversation shortened by many a mile. I don't believe that. I think he's making it up and that's going to lead me to my next section as soon yeah. as we get out of this corner, Joe's yeah. modern corner. Um, so... Yeah, what do you think? Do you think there were like people well, strutting about the tall? Yeah. Saying, I'm absolutely paused, I've left my mob. I'm pretty. And I'm, I want to yeah. do some fizz time. <laughs> I'm sure that they did, they were speaking, they were a bravin, I'm sure. <laughs> and that they were, yeah, using Greek and Latin devi- deviations mm. to speak, to have a sort of stylized way of speaking. I mean, this is satire, so he's going to. Mm. Satire always involves exaggeration of a historical particular, doesn't it? So I'm sure. That he's thrown some of these in. I mean, plenipo, that's got to be. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> plenipotentiary is like an unusually long word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, but it does, it does like, it does. I'm totally bammed when I think about the fact that mm. there's people in 1704 saying, like, I'm absolutely positive I'm going to get the Verdi tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I'm really, going to have to go incog. Incog, I, I'm going to, to go, go, I can see incog, yeah, maybe. I'm going to go incog to preserve my rep. Yeah. Because uh, I don't want everyone thinking that I'm a. I've got a bad fizz. <laughs> uh, and what? And the verdict on whether or not you've got a bad fizz is coming out. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be, and I can, I can imagine someone saying like, "I'm absolutely bamoed right now." Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So, but that's the question. Like, do, do you, you couldn't read this as a straight historical document because it's satire. Mm. And uh, I found this in an article uh, written in 2010 by Susan Fitzmaurice, who is a historical linguist. The article is called Changes of the Meaning of Politeness in England. And I do actually know Susan, and I know that she also works on Kant, mm. which was a sort of lowbrow way of speaking. But again, one of the challenges... Oh, right. For... I... No, I thought... no, no, sorry. Yeah, okay, so, that Kant. 18th century Kant, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but one of the challenges is we don't know what people actually said. We only know what people no. wrote down. And is there, yeah, so when people are writing gloss, like dictionaries of Kant, 
or he's writing satirical glossaries what people are saying mm. we don't know if that's what yeah. people are saying and that I think leads on nicely to to my, my Gen Z corner. Jones Gen Z Jones, corner. Gen Jones, Z. Jones, Jones, Are we going to say Gen Z. Z or Gen Z? Z. Z. Okay, yeah. We're Jones, Jones, Gen Z yeah. corner. Yeah, so for any listeners more of an American persuasion, Z roughly translates to Z in, <laughs> in your dialect. Okay. Thank you all so much for joining us this evening for our Stressed and Sexy support group. Oh, it's so nice to see new faces. So... This might be a bit moist, but hopefully a bit lit too. CBA explaining why, because it's a bit deep, but if it goes wrong, I'll take the L. I'm gassed to be doing this section. I'm going to flex my understanding of some slaps words and also some drips that I high-key simp for and absolutely stand. Ugh, you're making a heart shape with your hands in the wrong way and you're using a plastic straw and wearing skinny jeans. I am cancelling you for being a big chuggy boomer. That's right, kids. I'm a baddie blowed up Gen Xer, Gen Zer, with a mullet hairdo and a claw clip and a septum piercing. Um, so that is a little <laughs> passage that I put together from an article in the Times a couple of weeks ago called Inside the Mind of a Gen Z Pinup. And it's about Florence Given, who is apparently an insta-famous queer influencer and author whose outspoken opinions and sexual frankness have made her the voice of Britain's teens and 20-somethings. So the article kind of took the opportunity for its readership to explain what is Gen Z, what do they say, what do they wear, what music do they listen to, who are their heroes and villains, what do they love, uh, and what will they cancel you for, and who they follow on social media. And so they gave this glossary of words that Gen Z use. Um, I took the precaution a few decades back of growing my own Gen Zer in case the, on the off chance that I ever became a lecturer I would understand all the lingo of the, the 2019 to 22 cohort and that worked really well but now I'm fucked I will never understand another word they're saying. I how, ran... does she, how does your Gen Zer get on with your relative? <laughs> <laughs> she, my relative is like borderline Gen Zer and millennial right? Um, and this one's I think full on Gen Z. Full Metal Z. Yeah. (laughs) So I ran this list by her and about half of them she gave the exact definition that is given in the Times and then another quarter she was like nobody says that and another quarter she was like that's not what that actually means or people don't say that anymore. So I think as with Jonathan Swift like well not as with Jonathan Swift I don't think this article is trying to be funny I think either it's really straight faced or there's a Gen Zer on the staff at the Times supplement, who was basically taking the piss, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll put a glossary together for you," mm-hmm. um, and they've like mucked about, and their much older colleagues don't know. But just like um, sometimes when you give me like critical passages to look at, I wondered if you could try and have a go at translating that thing that I just said. Okay. So this might be a bit moist, but hopefully a bit lit too. So that means it might fall flat, but I hope it it, it might fall flat, but also there's a strong chance it'll be mint. Yeah, well, moist apparently means cringe. Uh, CBA explaining why, because it's a bit deep, but if it goes wrong, I'll take the L. Can't be asked explaining why, but if it's... Because it's a bit... Because if it's too involved, Mm. uh, I'll take the L. Mm. I don't know what that means. Well, apparently it means accept a failure slash loss, but uh, my inside source says that's not a thing and nobody says it. But CBA, that's been around for like 10 years or more, hasn't it? More than that. Yeah. I've got a friend and they call them CBA because it's their initials, but also Uh, they're quite lazy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Uh, also the L word isn't loss, it's lesbian, isn't it? That's from the TV show. Well, take the L in this instance means to accept a failure or a loss. 
I'm gassed to be doing this section. I'm going to flex my understanding of some slaps words. No, gassed means really happy, doesn't it? Because yeah. I see students saying, I'm so gassed to get my dissertation result. And at yeah. first, that uh, f- confused me, but that was a couple of years ago. Well, also, like in this 70s, people would say, like, oh, it's a gas, wouldn't they? Mm. To mean it's a good time. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to flex my understanding. Uh, that means use it, basically, doesn't it? The way Show you it off. Flex the muscle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I was in a job interview situation recently where I was on the panel and some, one of the questions was, how do you... I didn't write this question. I was giving it to ask candidates. How do you flex your style? And uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure what it meant. <laughs> but it meant, like, how do you be flexible about it rather than how do you do a weird Yeah, yeah, but I was yeah. thinking, how do you... Because I was thinking yeah. of this definition. So that was, yeah, very strange. Yeah, so what do you think a slap's word is? Understanding some slap's words and also some drips yeah um, so I think I've been told that neither of these are actually I've thing. got no idea um, okay a slap slaps means good and drips means a cool outfit apparently but <laughs> apparently so de- according to my real one it doesn't mean that okay so I'm going to extravagantly demonstrate my understanding of some good words and outfits yeah that, that I, I high key simp for okay high key is interesting because I know that low key yeah. means basically not as intense as you might expect yeah yeah so, uh, so very intensely simp for really want is that like I'm excited um, by it's someone who would do anything for their crush but you could say like you could say about mm. anything that you're like beholden to and it absolutely Stan Stan calls back to the early 2000s yeah I mean that's old isn't it that's not just a Gen Z thing no so that's when you're basically a dangerously obsessed fan isn't it Mm. because in the the song Stan by Eminem it's a dramatic monologue and the character is saying like if you don't write back to me I'm going to put my pregnant wife in the back of the car and drive into a river which he does yeah um Oh, you seem to now, be making a heart yeah, shape right, with your why hands. Yeah, why might I object to you making a heart shape with your hands? Yeah, because there are multiple ways to do it, and the obvious way is not right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one that, like, the memo, bitmoji memoji yeah, does, that's one. wrong. That's okay, not how you're supposed this. to do it. No, it's like, <laughs> um, oh, I can't even do it. We have to do it with your front. So, yeah, so, so okay. anyway, that's you have to do it that way. So it's the wrong fingers, basically. Mm. Okay, so because listeners won't be able to see yeah. you doing that. And I would also object to you wearing a plastic, using a plastic straw and wearing skinny jeans because okay. they're not cool yeah, anymore. Okay. Um, plastic so, straws aren't cool because the environment. Yeah, well, you can't get them anymore, can right, you? Right, yeah, that's handy. Yeah, uh, so I'm cancelling <laughs> you for being a big chuggy. I've never heard of chuggy. Well, Is this, it? interestingly, so I was told like a good few months ago... Um, that chuggy is not really a thing anybody says anymore, but it means um, like outdated or naff. But mm-hmm. more specifically, the way I had it explained to me was it's like, well, it seems to boil down to like not having a centre parting. You should only, okay. you, should, you can't have a side parting or an infinity scarf or skinny jeans. What happens if you transgress any of these rules? I think nothing. Good, because I, I thought being cool was being transgressive. But if it's yeah. like you can't do this, you can't do that. No, just you might describe aside playing as chuggy what chuggy bitch yeah I think so it's, it's basically like your mum isn't it not your <laughs> mum mum's yeah yeah okay so I'm a baddie glowed up Jen Zeta uh, that means I'm uh, attractive and uh, I've had a positive transformation into a Gen Zer and apparently they all like to have mullet hairdos a lot of claw clips and septum piercings okay, I've, got I've got fucking loads of claw clips and I always have I didn't know they were is that when you put in your hair in yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, interestingly, the list of things Gen Z will cancel you mm-hmm. is what does if that you mean, if you get cancelled in this context. 
I, I, I don't think they know what it means in this argument. They just, they just mean they failed as yeah. a transgender. They said, ask about, your, ask about their sexual orientation, use a plastic straw, order a steak, wear skinny jeans, talk to them on iMessage instead of Instagram, don't have be real, send them a winking or crying laughy face or monkey face emoji, put a full stop at the end of your text, use cleansing wipes, get a balayage, dip dye, still like Harry Potter, make heart shape with your hands in photos or love avocados. And my Gen Z said the only one of those she would cancel me for, and that was quite definite, was the skinny jeans. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting, and it's, it's an interesting contrast to Jonathan Swift. I think it's been a useful exercise yeah. in actually helping us to, to contextualise the I'm going to pin Swift. this on my office wall so that <laughs> I can understand next year's intake, and I'll be like, hey, um, I like Lizzo. Do you, do you like Lizzo? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, do we, do we recognise this person, do you think? Do you think... Um, in the no. future this has the capacity to be read by future historians <laughs> and they'll be like oh so that's what they were all like then I mean obviously the, when we spend time when we spend any time with a Gen Z individual it's in a very specific highly codified context well I don't spend time with my uh, younger relative in a specific oh, no, highly not codified context no, no, but yeah thinking, at work at so work, when, yeah. I, when, my, when I spend time with Gen Z students in a mm. lecture or seminar and I feel like when a student uses lingo mm. it's always in a kind of performative it's like I'm going to say it. I'm going to say, mm. "Oh, I thought that, I thought that Tristram Shandy was Bay or something." Like it's always a very kind of stage. Or yeah. the one that always happens is, and it does. It, it was funny the first time, but every, every year it was like, "Oh, I thought that you know, Master FJ in Gascoigne's poem was a fuckboy or something." Mm. Like, so oh, he's a soft boy or he's a simple. Yeah, so yeah. it happens, and then everyone giggles. But it's not like. It doesn't seem like it's happening. It's not in just an organic how they way. talk. Yeah, is yeah, it? They yeah. know when they're using those words and when they're not. Yeah, but I mean, presumably your Gen Z individual does recognise these characteristics to some extent. Well, like I say, to, yeah. to an extent, yeah. Um, yeah. But some of them, she was just like, um, absolutely, definitely, that's not what that means or that's not what that is. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. That, yeah. Um, yeah, and apparently it's bad news for us because their favourite podcasts are the Receipt Podcast. Uh, my dad wrote a porno, call her daddy in a monologue, private part, and exactly. Um, and I've heard of exactly one of those and podcasts. It's very sick. It's very and none based, of them, I can't believe none of them are ours. So <laughs> yeah, we've, lost, yeah. we've lost the youth. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But um, yeah, I'm surprised that my dad wrote a porno's on there because it's so. Mm. Yeah. So do these. Do you think this Gen Z people. <laughs> To Gen Z people. Do they like satire? That suggests not if they listen to our podcast. No, it doesn't. And also the list of things that they would cancel, apparently, it would have been as established, this isn't true or good. <laughs> um, but well, if it was true or good, they like reading The Song of Achilles, It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover, who was fucking hell. Uh, where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, no. I know. I saw that the weekend. That's like, can you imagine, can you imagine Tarzan or Jungle Book? But if it was like, Excruciatingly sentimental, excruciatingly, excruciatingly sentimental, po-faced, mm. and also not very much happened in it. That's basically mm. what it is. Yeah, well, I'm just a chuggy boomer. So yeah, they like normal people by Sally Rooney, which I'm not a um, boomer. Yeah, um, I mean, why am I an ex? I think you're a millennial, aren't you? I'm a millennial. Yeah, but yeah, none of it, none of it, kind of reeks of satire, does it? So we're, uh, we're like two dinosaurs. Mm. I'm glad which we talked about it. a real shame. <laughs> Yeah, dinosaurs yeah. are cool. Well, thanks uh, very much for that. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed my Gen Z corner. Da 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 da. So that was 
little bit of music there for the Gen Z. Yeah, you now, mentioned of which there are now. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, the word cancel there mm. in a sort of bizarre way compared to how it's generally. How do you mention it? Bizarre way, it was like oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you didn't say, you didn't express yeah. it in a bizarre yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It was being u- utilized in a, in a in a being used, I should yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. In a, the in usage, a very, the usage was, of it yeah. was uh, very bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But if you consider that what we're seeing in the culture today is the entire social justice movement being reduced to a flurry of hastened apologies from comedians apologizing for a joke that ruffled no feathers six years ago, and actors, actors, fucking hell apologising for playing characters other than themselves. And they're not really apologising at all. They know it's tokenistic nonsense and it's just a distraction from the serious stuff. But it's what you've got to do if you want to hold on to your career. Which brings me neatly on to the end of my career. Well, uh, uh, we've already established your career is booming rather than ending. So what, uh, I don't know, that's well, not the end of your career, is it? No. No, and and I could tell those aren't your words because you sort of went into reading out loud mode, um, <laughs> script scripty mode. So uh, yeah, those aren't your They're words. Not so my whose words. words are they? No, Why they, have you got them? What are you doing with them? Put them back. Those are <laughs> those were the words of the art, the comedian perf- who performs as Jonathan Pye uh-huh. um, on his current comedy tour that's been this on the circuit for a couple of months now called the Fake News Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to pick it in because what we're going to do now is a roundup of news stories pertaining to comedy and satire many of which are connected to this idea of cancellation and cancel culture and i just thought this was an interesting thing because it 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 takes a certain set of stances doesn't it Mm. but also this is a guy who has made his whole tour about the issues that are challenging comedians allegedly Mm. like he's got a whole it's like if you think this about cancel culture come and see my show and then he says stuff like that so it, it it's all this kind of self cannibalizing machine isn't it mm. His, and the, Jonathan Pye's always done this he offers a commentary but I think if it, in the sort of satirical mode of the monologue but it's also it's sort of it's not that's not a joke is it there's no joke no no it's not a joke shall we head to the cancellation corner and talk about that further <laughs> let's do that news 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 cancel 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 <laughs> corner <laughs> hello and welcome I think to... our jingles have just come on I know we got that so much uh, so what's the first thing that's been cancelled this summer? Um, in the okay. comedy realm. Why it's been cancelled in the comedy like realm. Because realms just sounds like a medieval word, doesn't it? Like, yeah, but why do you have to say medieval, medieval words like realm? <laughs> because It'd it, be like realm. <laughs> realm. In well, the comedy realm. It's the first thing this summer to mm. be cancelled in the comedy realm. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, and it is uh, something we've talked about before on the podcast, we isn't have. it? Um, say what it is. It's Mark the Week. It is Mark the Week, mm. yeah. Um, Cancelled, apparently, due to um, a, a dearth of news. Yes. So the Metro, on the 2nd of August this year, reported the following. Presenter and comedian Dara O'Brien, who fronted over 200 episodes of the programme, confirmed the news, sarcastically saying, the UK has finally run out of news. The storylines were getting crazier and crazier. Global pandemics, divorce from Europe, novelty short-term prime ministers, he said. It couldn't go on. We just couldn't be more silly than the news was already. Huge thanks to all our guests over the years, so many of whom went on to huge successes of their own. Uh, and never write or call, it was a joy. Mock the Week has been credited with launching a number of comedians into household names, including the likes of Frankie Boyle, Angela Barnes and Russell Howard. I feel like that's an unfortunate expression. They didn't, they didn't like fire them out of a cannon at Ronnie Barker, did they? <laughs> they launched them to the extent that they yeah. became household names. I was yeah. say, <laughs> Frankie Darrow... Boyle in a trebuchet 
fired at David Attenborough. I was going to say exactly that. Yeah. If you launched Frankie Boyle into Bruce Forsyth, you deserve to be cancelled, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Who would you most like to launch Frankie Boyle at on the assumption that neither party would come out of the launching particularly <laughs> unsquished. I'd launch him straight into whoever came up with the <laughs> conceit for Mock the Week. Yeah, okay. Um, um, so yeah. yeah, Mock the Week. I was never, it was never entirely my bag. No. I think, but a lot of people do have really fond memories of the show, don't they? Because especially when it was first out, it was quite sort of edgy. Mm. It was things you wouldn't hear said in other places. I think that was one of the games, wasn't it? Step forward to say a thing you wouldn't hear said in another <laughs> That's place. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that there was like that, and then shortly after it, Friday Night at the Apollo, is that, or was mm, it Saturday Night at the Apollo? Can't remember. And suddenly it just seemed like, from my perspective, there wasn't that many comedians doing comedy. On, there'd, there'd occasionally be like a Victoria Wood special or something mm. like that, but suddenly every week there was a space where comedians were doing comedy, and I think that's probably welcome. And so the discussion about the end of Mock the Week, there mm. were various different um, hot, hot takes on that, weren't there? Right. So some people were saying, yeah, well, it's not surprising because it's never been the same once they made them have women on. Yeah. Um, and it became increasingly woke, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, some arguing that uh, kind of the opposite, that even when they did have to have one woman on per episode, and sometimes even more, um, that it still retained a kind of fairly testosterone-y, mm. interrupty vibe that is perhaps may- maybe has less of an audience. Yeah. Or, um, and I, I also just wonder if like a lot of the people who who were launched into household names. <laughs> a lot of the people who who cut their teeth on that show or who did it for a long time, maybe they're just doing other things. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's just the passing of time. He's, I mean, Dora Breen talks about it as being a nursery for n- upcoming comedians, doesn't it? It's where you mm. get your first break and stuff. Um, I mean, Hugh Dennis, I'm surprised he stuck with it. Cause he, well, he was... He was famous before. He was famous before yeah, yeah. and famous after, yeah. yeah. But I don't know, because he... Yeah. I mean, his bits, when he does the voiceovers for for like royal clips and stuff I think I think that's in isolation that's the most consistently funny thing no the thing about the coverage that and I know that it's like he said it sarcastically mm. but this whole idea that they had to stop Mark the Week because the news stories were getting too crazy is preposterous because yes, it makes you wonder like why why would you why not just say the real reason yeah which is we've done 20 hundreds we've done hundreds we've seasons kind of had and, enough and we want to do different stuff yeah yeah, or the director general of the BBC doesn't like left-wing comedy, which is another take. That's mm. all. Yeah, but no, we've run out of news. Is 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 just absurd. And as Chris Morris says, that's handing in your cards. I mean, surely that's the time when you make the best comedy, is when you've got short-term prime ministers and. It depends how good you are at comedy, probably, doesn't it? And that's always been their problem. As Dieter de Klerk made the point, it's not satire; it's comedy. And if mm. you, but it presents itself as a satirical look at the news, which sets it up to fail because it doesn't yeah. do the very thing it that it's being marketed as doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What else has been cancelled? Uh, most recently, um, Jerry Sadowitz. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you can t- you take this one. I'll tell you about Jerry Sadowitz. Mm. So, as reported on the 13th of August in BBC News, uh, Jerry Sadowitz had an Edinburgh fringe show that was cancelled by venue bosses. Reading from the article here. 
Um, an Edinburgh Festival show by controversial comedian Jerry Sadowitz has been cancelled by venue bosses. Sadowitz has, was, had been due to play two nights at the Pleasance at Edinburgh International Conference Centre on Friday and Saturday. The Pleasance said the second night would not go ahead as his material, quote, does not align with our values. Sadowitz said on Twitter, did a show last night, 75 minutes, thought it went well, didn't see any walkouts. Today I'm told my show's being cancelled. Great stuff. I'm truly sorry for everyone who travelled to see the show tonight. It, there's a certain amount of mystery, isn't there, about what exactly yeah. he said? Because then the Pleasant said, opinions such as those displayed on stage are not acceptable. Yeah. Um, this is why the passive voice is yeah. rubbish. Like, we're not really sure quite what it was that no. made them take this decision yeah no we don't and uh, I mean he's, the word cancelled is being used in the most traditional classic sense here in that the show it was cancelled like the mm. tickets were cancelled yeah literally like it was, was cancelled yeah um I mean, so the article does go on and say that uh, the venue did carry the warning this show contains strong language and themes some may find disturbing um, but as I say, or as they say, the Pleasant Theatre Trust director said that it was cancelled with immediate effect because opinions such as those displayed on stage are not acceptable and the Pleasants are not prepared to be associated with such material. Um, so It's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like a lot of the defence of it, I've seen this in a lot of places, mm. is, um, you know, he, he plays a role on stage and it's like... Um, condemning an actor who plays Macbeth for murder yeah um which may or may not be it's difficult not having seen the show that mm. might be it seems like a reasonable defense mm. um not necessarily one that's extended to all comedians mm. um that they're inhabiting a role on stage when they do stand up but yeah and I imagine a lot of our listeners would have three questions, as you've already mentioned. Yeah, what, what did, did he, he say? say? Is he satire? Is he satire? And who even is he? For the Gen Z listeners, mm. what even is a Jerry Sadowitz? Yeah, I mean, is he is he lit or is he unlit? Is he a sim? We, we just don't know. Yeah. So, um, is he, is he chuggy or is he dank? I think he's a chuggy dank boomer. Mm, no um, cap. So, what what my Gen Z would say at this point is: so, what's the crack? What's the crack? Spelled C R A I C K. Well, she she says it rather than spelling it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that <laughs> yeah. surprised me when I someone sent me a message. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Crake. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> so Jerry Sadowitz is currently sixty-one years old. He's an American-born Scottish comedian and magician. Interestingly, he's widely recognised as one of the world's most accomplished close-up magicians, um, but is best known for his extremely controversial comedy style, which is said to have influenced, said by his Wikipedia page, which he may have written, <laughs> uh, to have influenced a generation of comics. And in two thousand and seven. Uh, he was actually voted by the public number 15th of the 100 great stand-ups in Channel 4's 100 great stand-ups. Wow. Which, incidentally, is what Stuart Lee always goes on about, isn't it? 47th best stand-up, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So he's quite a lot better than Stuart Lee, according to that guide. Uh, Sadowitz has been sta doing stand-up since the 80s. His breakout show took place in 1987. The Edinburgh Fringe Festival was called Total Abuse. That was then released as an album, much like we were talking about earlier. Is his apparently it was his stand-up set to music called Gobshite, and that was banned. Banned. Yeah, was in withdrawn from sale, and I'll come back to that later. And you sounded a bit ominous. Now. <laughs> an interesting okay. parallel between what happened with Gobshite slash Total Abuse mm. and what's happened now is that because it's banned, if you don't have a copy of that CD, right. people don't know what it was in the show unless right. you saw it yourself. So there's that's an interesting parallel. Um, in the 1980s, Sadowitz was known for, quote, saying the unsayable, 
and said on stage he thought of himself as the bad cop to Bernard Manning's good cop. Wow, that's a very, very bad cop, isn't it? It is, yeah. He got his own TV show in 1992 called The Paul Bearer's Review and remained a regular presence on TV in the 1990s, eventually fronting his own panel show called The People vs. Jerry Sadowitz in 1998. Can you explain the premise of that show? Yeah, so as I understand it, the premise was that contestants would come on the show and they would have to either try they would have to either try to change his mind about something or talk passionately about something that they believed in and then he would take the opposite view mm. basically so the way this manifests itself is they would come in say something he would explain to them in vitriolic terms why they were wrong and if he ever changed his mind they would win an enormous cash prize but in the two seasons of the show nobody ever changed his well, mind well I mean it would be in his interest not to admit it even if he did change his mind obviously it did, yeah. <laughs> that did remind me of your idea for a solo podcast it's sort podcast. of the opposite isn't it in yeah. a solo podcast it was I mean I thought of this before 1998 yeah. it's long been um, a cherished dream of mine to have a TV show where um, I just I round up people I really disagree with and they don't really have any choice in it they have to be on my TV show and they have to listen to me explaining why they're wrong until they change their mind, at which point they might be allowed to leave. Okay, but the they have to sit and listen. And, yeah, it's it's mandatory. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I've, over the years I've added lots and lots of names to that list. <laughs> some are famous, some are not. Um, I want to see Some are more famous than others. I've got to do it. I don't think anyone's going to let me do it. No, they? but, I mean, I'd love that to happen. Um, but yeah, so that was his show, and that actually led to Channel 5, then brand new, being reprimanded for the show's excessive and unnecessary use of the words fuck and cunt. Um, since then, he's been touring and making very occasional appearances on TV before this week's story. Um, before this week's story, he was last in the news when a member of the audience at his 2019 show, which was called Make Comedy Great Again, comedy spelt G-R-A-T-E. that's clever. person in the audience collapsed from excessive laughter and had to be admitted to hospital. Um, wow. He's been quoted as saying, politically incorrect comedy is no genre, it's me. And it's been ripped off by loads and loads of comics. What a guy. And this is him in action. So I'll show you this clip yeah. and I want you to then say if you think it's in any way satirical. To this day, television comes down very hard on swearing and there are still certain words that you can't say on TV. Like, uh, you can't say words beginning with C and ending with unt. Uh, you can't say the word tit unless you say it backwards, in which case it's ideologically correct. Another dubious word is the word prick, which you can say sometimes, as George Carlin points out, you can be on TV and say, hey, I've just pricked my finger. What you can't do is be on TV and say, hey, I've just fingered my prick, which is uh, fair enough, I suppose. I was going to try and get around the whole problem of swearing by crossing the word cunt with the word bastard, but then you get custard, which is uh, legal, but it sounds shite, which is another word that you can't say on television. But whatever you think of swearing, you have to admit, it does make for some memorable TV moments. Fuck off. The only clip of him on all of YouTube is yeah. that. So, yeah, so what happened? Okay, well, then? I feel like the crucial bit of that is a small, kind of innocent <laughs> child coming up to him and taking a card from the hand that he's holding out like a magician would, mm -hmm. and he that's who he's telling to fuck off. I feel mm -hmm. like that's quite. It is. Another yeah. visual, bit of visual comedy there. I mean, I thought the first bit was quite basic. Yeah. Um, It wasn't as edgy as one might think based mm. on some of the conversations that have got I mean you know, probably that speaks to the fact that it's the only one available on YouTube doesn't it I mean, yeah. Maybe it is, so. yeah I've I've read some of the things that he said that sound a bit um, yeah a bit less basic I mean, a joke about custard doesn't sound like the edgelord of the biggest edgelord in all of comedy it sounds no. like something on Mock the Week doesn't it yeah yeah um I didn't really think it was satirical no um 
Unless it's satirising arbitrary standards imposed on television, but... But it's difficult to... There's a double problem here, isn't there? Because I don't want to say on the podcast some of the things I do know he's said, because then we'd be in the exact same boat. Um, And so that means it's difficult to talk around them. But also it's not fair to evaluate him or let listeners evaluate him just based on the only clip that's available on YouTube. But, yeah, yeah. So just one little bit of trivia as well before we talk about the current predicament. The, the his 1970 show was released as an album called Gobshite, which was pulled from sales. Do you know what? Can you guess why that happened? I can't. Okay. I don't know. Well, get a load of this. All right. It was because the label that produced Gobshite was worried about being sued for libel because of the following bit that I found on the internet, which I can read out now. There have been serious allegations of child abuse in Cleveland. To my mind, there's only one way to find out whether they're true or not, and that's to call Jimmy Savile. You can't afford to fuck about. Bring in an expert. A friend of mine thinks Jimmy Savile's a paedophile. Rubbish. He's a child bender. That's why he does all his fucking charity work. It's to gain sympathy for when his fucking number comes up. 1987. Uh, Yeah, and so that must have... I imagine some people heard that and knew that he was right yeah and some people heard that and thought this is just like surreal and weird to go after jimmy savile but also funny and some people heard it and thought like how dare you go after jimmy savile yeah. who does loads of charity work yeah so what was that 25 years before mm. the case he, the, the, the it's a joke he's doing it as a joke but it's also the precise think also, premise of the Netflix documentary series, isn't it? But I think in 1987, plenty of people did know, yeah. and he may have been, and particularly people who worked in show business, yeah. and he may have been one of them. And the unsayable thing in show business is that Jimmy Self was a paedophile, and he said it, because that's what he does, isn't it? Yeah. He says the unsayable. Yeah. But I, th- I think that would have been different from in 1987 saying, I think... Um, the Queen is a murderer or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's not as surreal and weird. Although some people, especially Gen Zers, do think the Queen is a murderer. Don't yeah, they, they do. Very wedded to that theory. Yeah, because she killed Diana. Yeah, exactly. Allegedly. It's, yeah. So um, yeah. So so yeah. So that's who he is. Mm. If nothing else, people have learned about the 18th century today, yeah. and they've learned who Jerry Sadowitz is. So back to the show itself. The show that's caused all the trouble that got cancelled at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival was called Jerry Sadowitz, not for anyone. A right. uh, promotion for the show published on the Pleasance website quoted Sadowitz as saying, please note that I might just do card tricks and say nothing for a whole hour, or I might just do the usual screaming fascist shtick, or both. Patrons may wish to dr- pa- patrons may wish to drink alcohol pre-show to avoid boredom, embarrassment and guilt. Isn't it difficult to say fascist and then say the word shtick in close proximity? Fascist shtick. It just sounds like you're fascistic. drunk and you're trying to say fascistic. Or yeah. yeah, yeah, I wonder if that's the mm. joke. Fascistic. Uh, so on thirteenth of August, Chortle collected some accounts from members of the audience of what allegedly happened. So, yeah. um, so offensive language around Rishi Sunak. He said the economy was awful because it is run by quote blacks and women. He, according to this member of the audience, got his penis out to a woman in the front row, um, and the yeah, so may have been some combination of those things that made mm. the pleasants feel... Do you think um, he got his penis out as a reference to the other guy who got his penis out? Which other guy? Uh, the American comedian who got cancelled because he liked oh, to masturbate. Oh, what's he called? His initials? CJ. Lou- Louis C.K. Louis C.K., yeah. yeah. Um, could be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
And he does a thing, doesn't he, where he's like, there's a load of hats on this table and whenever I put one of them on, I'm talking in character. Yeah. And so that, you know, that might be what's around the edge of the Rishi Sunak thing. Yeah. That, um, but, you know, if the words are out and people don't yeah. get the context or don't want to acknowledge the context, or indeed if there was no context, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. But uh, the rest of the comedy world, pretty sympathetic. Yeah, to I the mean, guy, they? Al Murray came out and said, God damn it, Jerry, I'm sorry. I don't think an endorsement from Al Murray means very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, general sense that it was a, a shame yeah. um, and a disgrace. And yeah. what do you expect? Of course, you're going to be offended when you go and see this guy. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Vine, obviously, is an authority on comedy, said, I've seen Jerry Sadowitz perform four times. Each gig was more offensive than the last. No one complained because that was what Jerry does. Yeah. And then on the 15th of August, he made a statement himself. Do you want to read this one? Yeah, is it all right if I don't do it in a Scottish accent? It's fine, yeah, it's fine. Uh, He said, my act is now being cheapened and simplified as unsafe, homophobic, misogynistic and racist. I am not J asterisk asterisk D asterisk asterisk. Who's that meant to be? Jim Davidson. Oh, yeah, of course. Folks, a lot of thought goes into my shows and while I don't always get it right, especially at the speed of which I speak and I don't always agree with my own conclusions, I am offended by those who, having never seen me before, hear words being shouted in the first five minutes before storming out without listening to the material which I'm stupid enough to believe is funny, sometimes important, and worth saying. Uh, yeah, he said he exposed himself in the show for the purposes of the funny line which followed it. Um, and he said he was not asking for anyone to agree with anything he said or did on stage. He said, God forbid they shouldn't up like me. Uh, and I have never once quoted a mainstream audience to come to my shows because guess what? In real life, I really don't want to upset anyone. This this show is what it is for those who enjoy it. The rest of you, please stick to carry-on films. Hmm. So, uh, what do you think of that? Um, I think it's a bad business if the Edinburgh Fringe Festival are cancelling shows for not aligning with the theatre's values, etc. I mean, surely that is what the Fringe is. Mm. Um, if you go and if you go and see some comedians, yeah, you do know they're going to say things you might not like. Mm. Um, and my, like a lot of comedy, I can think of having enjoyed. There are sometimes moments in it where I think like, oh. That's that's a bit much, and then the next minute I'm laughing at something else, mm. and that is kind of what comedy is, um, and I'm in agreement with actually like many sides of the spectrum. If you can have many sides of a spectrum, have come out and said like this is, I haven't really seen anybody saying or tweeting this, quite right to. This is a good call. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the Pleasants have probably done themselves some reputational damage yeah. there. Yeah, and I don't know why they would. I mean, it sounds like all the disclaimers were in place as well. On He, he made the statement, the website made the statement, everyone had the, yeah. I can. I, it must be the penis thing. Mm. And he, in, he, in his own statement there, he says, I got my penis out because it tied into a funny line. So it must be something like around the indecent exposure. Perhaps. I mean, all of that said, um, I don't kind of think if you offered me the choice, I'd say... Ideally, comedians wouldn't get their penises out on stage. Like, mm. I wouldn't like that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, you know, I guess you. Well, I was going to say you know what you're going to see, but most people wouldn't expect that. I think, <laughs> but could, the Pleasants could have said, like Jerry, if it was that, they could have said tomorrow, absolutely fine, go ahead with it, but not the penis bit, please, yeah. because there are like reasons why people might not not want to see that yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and why that that is a step too far and then then if he was like no my penis is integral <laughs> to my routine um then have that discussion yeah yeah but i feel like 
there's a step missing here, isn't there, where they approach him and ask him if he would be willing to. Um, mm. I was going to say cut that from his routine, but that's and it sounds like they're going punitive. entirely off of the feedback from the audience. I mean, I know that we don't know what really happened, but he did the t- in his tweet. He's like, "I've just, I've just mm. heard." Like they didn't talk to him, did they? So they've not. Mm. We don't even know if they've watched the show. They've just gone off what perhaps one or two people complained in the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unf- it's unfortunate. I'm reminded of Sharon Lockyer's book about um, satire and offence, offence, satire and offence. Uh, where she talks about how one of the functions, no, comedy and offence. She talks about comedy and offence, and she says one, you know, one of the functions of comedy is to transgress the boundaries to remind us all where they are. Mm. Um, she then also says there are exceptions. For example, if you're strategically dehumanising a certain group, but um, but yeah, I mean, he certainly has done that. If it means that no one ever gets their penis out at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival again, I mean, I'd be happy with that reality. If, yeah, you know, if, if it turns out. Nobody gets their penis out at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah. I think that'd be that'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's next in cancellation corner, Adam? Well, so Joe Sadowitz did get cancelled, certainly in the sense that his show got cancelled. Yeah. But someone who didn't get cancelled. Yeah, yeah, someone who didn't get cancelled is your favourite comic, Frankie Boyle. Frankie Boyle, yeah. Uh, what's Frankie Boyle been undone now? Because, I mean, he's in the news anyway, isn't he, because of the end of Mock the Week. Yeah. Um, and... He's also written a novel, which we'll talk about shortly. But mm-hmm. then, uh, coincidentally, he also made headlines in certain quarters for yep. um, a thing that he said. He did, yeah. So uh, I'm not super familiar with this story, but I know that he went. He, like, he did a show at Latitude Festival, and he made a joke in inverted commas. Well, I'm sure it was a joke, mm. but I'm not sure it's funny. Uh, where he said of, of Holly Willoughby. I'd obviously kill her and rape her afterwards. I'm joking. I'd rape her first. Uh, and he defended the comment how uh, when he was asked about it at the book He lunch. said, can I just say, my routine about raping and fucking Holly Willoughby was part of a very long routine about whether or not it's okay to do a joke about that. And I look at it from both sides. There are pluses and minuses. What are the pluses, do you think, about making a joke about killing and raping Holly Willoughby? What would you say is the main <laughs> positive that comes out of it? I mean, of course, there's always, you know pros and cons but yeah. what, what would the pros be do you think uh, from his perspective I imagine it's the shock of the line being transgressed again isn't it mm. it's the sh- and particularly seeing as he's reformed publicly gone through this process of having reformed it's perhaps he, he's got back to a stage where you wouldn't expect Frankie Ball to say this and then he has said it and so you get a very sort of cheap has he, has he gone through a process of having reformed I mean I get that his um, his shtick is mm. different now and it's more about kind of saying that, that he doesn't like his <coughs> drama and uh, criticizing other comedians yeah. and being like overtly on the left politically um but has he ever said when i was younger i was a complete dick and i said some unforgivable things about disabled children no, and I women don't, I don't and, think and i'm sorry about that and i've changed no i was just thinking of him appearing in the guardian and 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 in his tweets where he's like i can't believe that people think it's funny that ricky gervais has made a transphobic joke or whatever um mm. <clears throat> Yeah, but I yeah, don't because know I feel like if he had be, if he had reforms, he could say, "Look, you know, I get where Ricky is right now." Yeah, um, and here's what I do. Here's what made me realise that saying those things was unconscionable, and here's what I think he ought to do. Um, if if I if I don't think he should be saying those things, this is this is why, and this is mm. what how it worked out for me. Yeah, um, I don't think he has. No, it makes you wonder though, doesn't it? If, so there's a joke there about ostensibly sexual assault and necrophilia. Um, well it's not necrophilia it's clarified that it isn't 
Um, mm. <clears throat> if and this was picked up in some tabloid presses, but wasn't really a a thing. Latitude Festival haven't issued a statement about it, have they? No. The BBC have. No, they didn't. So yeah, unlike the Pleasance Theatre, Latitude didn't say that they felt that that didn't align with their um, their views, mm. or that, that they felt it was a, a an, <clears throat> in, inappropriate thing to say that. Um, mm. And I, I mean, you know, what, whatever you think about either of them. Let's give give them credit for yeah, yeah. and side of it. Let's assume that there is context around those things that offended some people. Oh, yeah. Let's assume it's part <clears> of a bigger. <throat> but why is the one forgivable and the other? Um, you know what? Why did side of it get yeah. cancelled and Boyle not? Yeah, I mean it could just be the uh, authority involved, isn't it? Mm. So the the. Pleasance Theatre has a yeah I mean they're not all in like a gang are they Latitude no. and the Edinburgh Fringe no. where they have to be consistent with one another yeah I mean the, his, his explanation which is that you know to be, on, to be honest with you the joke about raping a fucking Holly Willoughby was part of a long routine about whether or not the joke was what such a joke could work mm. that's such a classic he gets to say the line yeah, but then yeah. the, you have this paint, like agonising back and forth justification for it which he when he and the, we know Frankie Boyle he'd be winking at the audience and he mm. knows that we know that the whole packaging is just a way for him to deliver and I think that line. he also knows to be fan I'm trying to be really scrupulously yeah. fair not, not just because I take exception to some of the things many of the things that Frankie Boyle has said both in his guise as a comedian and as a person yeah. there's a lot of things he said that I disagree with but um, to, I, I don't, that doesn't mean that I'm going to pretend that I genuinely believe that Frankie Boyle wants to or would rape and murder Holly Willoughby. I don't think that he would. I don't think he wants to. Uh, I don't believe that's what he was saying. But I do believe it was part of a routine. And I'm not sure that, that it's justified by saying, oh, well, the routine was about whether or not it's okay. Mm. Why would you think it was? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And there is like maybe a, he just didn't explain it very well. Yeah, you noticed an interesting thing on the mirror coverage, didn't you? The mm. oh yeah, so the um, the mirror, which is the most left wing news outlet that seems to have covered this, it ends its article by saying. The BBC defended Frankie after viewers complained, saying the episode's content is... This is a different um, episode, I think. Uh, yeah, where he's talking about Priti Patel and Keir Starmer. Uh, they defended that by saying, um, is within the audience expectations for a post-Watershed topical satirical programme from a comedian whose style and tone are well established. And then the Mirror article ends, if you've been the victim of sexual assault, you can access help and resources via www.rapecrisis.org.uk. I mean, I suppose that, to be fair, like, that this is at the end of an article which is repeatedly talked about rape, as mm. indeed this this section of the podcast yeah, is, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't want that to be distressing for UK. anybody. Yeah, um, but it's interesting that this that the coverage of this in the newspaper kind of implicitly recognises that what it's been talking about is difficult mm. and unpleasant. Um, and that, and that what he's even the discussion of what he said mm. might leave somebody feeling in need of help, um, which is it, it, perhaps unintentionally revealing, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Incidentally, just as all this kicks off, it turns out that Frankie Ball's also touring a new show at the moment. Yes, that's uh, quite the yeah. coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it got a rave review in the Guardian, didn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. 
Um, cynics, who presumably form a significant quotient in his audience, might think Boyle is having it both ways here, distancing himself from his jokes' ghastliness while continuing to tell ghastly jokes. But it's certainly true that he cracks fewer gratuitously mean gags than he used to, and that most of his wee horror show constructions serve to amplify an opinion or rocket fuel some political argument, burlesquing the inequities of the royal family, or Richard Branson, say, or desecrating the pious conceit that work should be personally fulfilling, or indeed affirming his own low moral statue as per the gags about trying to have sex with a Nazi. Time after time, Boyle's vision and violent lyricism catches your breath. I think makes you catch your breath, mm. maybe, because they're so alarming and because it's an honesty to them that cuts through the blandifying white noise, revealing our brutal as boil world, if only for a joke's length, in its true colours. Yeah. Mm. Positive review there from The Guardian. Yeah. But also a positive review that acknowledges the concerns that have been expressed previously by The Guardian. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Brian Logan, who's done the review, is touching on the same thing we were just talking about, isn't it? Which is that he's packaging his jokes what does how does he say it like oh the cynical might realize that he's um they might think he's having it uh, both yeah, ways by going i mean he is having it both ways there's no two so, yeah. there's no two a... ways about that there's both the ways yeah. he's having them yeah wouldn't it be ghastly to make a joke about uh, your favorite texture of a corpse's clitoris he says whilst saying, whilst saying the thing, thing. Yeah. yeah yeah it's an old we've done it on this podcast haven't we like, yeah shouldn't say absolutely that. let's um, definitely make sure that we don't say that yeah um, uh, and then don't so it's an old joke but um <laughs> but yeah what do you think about that about the review mm. i think it is uh i think that brian logan of the guardian is a simp for Frank <laughs> Boyle, actually yeah. um and i think that you know he's having to really kind of stretch things to to suggest that you know Boyle's vision and violent lyricism catch the world's true colours um I don't I've never particularly felt that the world's true colours have been revealed to me after listening to Frankie Boyle but I mean you know I suppose people people see things it's interesting that the BB the mirror when it quotes the BBC statement in the last piece we just talked about they talk about his work as having a satirical content and here we've got him taking on royal royal family richard branson there's the suggestion that actually he's sort of debasing the world to show how debased it is mm. which is a satirical maneuver that, isn't it i mean that's very sacrificial of the guy as well isn't he? he's yeah. devoted like the last 25 years to being sort of awful just mm. to help us see that the world is awful but i feel like i could have done that without <laughs> no but that yeah. that I mean the way you describe that that does sound like a juvenilian satirist mm. doesn't it I mean, I'm struggling with this because I don't and never have liked Frankie Boyle. Yeah. And so I'm naturally disinclined to to be forgiving about the context for the thing that he said. And I recognise that that is a thing that that people do and it's not fair. Mm. That if, if it, as they say in America, confirms your priors, mm. you are willing to do a, a, more willing to kind of engage in a bad faith interpretation. Um, I'm conscious of my, the extent of my limitations in being fair, fair to Frankie Boyle. But I'm trying. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> so with that in mind, should we talk about one last thing to do with Frankie Boyle? Yeah, he's also written a book. He's written he? a novel, a crime novel called Meantime, which is set in 2015 in Glasgow. Glasgow, 2015, when Valium addict Felix McCavity's best friend Marina is found murdered in a local park. Police are interviewing Frankie Boyle. He goes looking for answers to questions that he quickly forgets. In a haze of uppers, hallucinogens and diazepam, Felix enlists the help of a brilliant but mercurial GP, a bright young trade unionist, a failing scriptwriter, 
semi-celebrity crime novelist Jane Pickford and his crisis-fueled downstairs neighbour Donny. Their investigation sends them on a bewildering expedition that takes in Scottish radical politics, artificial intelligence, cults, secret agents, smugglers and vegan record shops. Meantime is a picaresque de- detective story, nearly said defective story, that would have been a terrible mistake, set against the backdrop of post-referendum Scotland. Frankie Boyle's compelling debut novel is a tale of murder and revenge and of personal and political loss. So that's straight off the website for the book. Yeah. Blood. Um, her blood. But like the cast- Ruby red blood. <laughs> and shit and piss. And then they were killed by a werewolf. Garth Marenghi's <laughs> yeah. a, a hell beast. <laughs> yeah. Garth Marenghi's dark place joke there for uh, for the informed. I do think it's yeah. funny that the cast it of characters like shit, the it? cast of characters includes a failed screenwriter and a semi celebrity novelist. Yeah. Um. So you've got two writers there as he's writing his novel, yeah. which is a classic Stephen uh, King device, mm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So some of the reviews on the cover of the book, uh, Ian Rankin. We all know. Well, you, you know, like him, I love you? Ian Rankin. Yeah. yeah. Or I did. I've. I mean, for a very long time, I've read Rebus novels. But he says inherent vice and scalpel sharp jokes vie with a very human concern for those least garlanded in the rat race of life. Although Ian Rankin. <laughs> he does endorsements for a lot of books. Yeah, it's like, like uh, Marion Keys. I think um, yeah. every book that's published with it, that's aimed at like the the female market has Marion mm. Keys. She just, I think she must just spend her life reading books and saying, "I loved it. Made me laugh. Made me cry. Yeah. I swallowed it whole, start yeah. to finish." Uh, yeah. yeah, Ian Rankin is like Marion Keys, but for, for boy books. Isn't but it's he? interesting that he's picked out the scalpel sharp jokes. Mm, and it's the, very satire, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Scalpel, very satire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sunday Times says part who done it, part social safari, part extended stand-up monologue. Well, I think that's very revealing. Yeah. The novel is full of scintillating sentences and perfect lines of dialogue. And Lucy Preble, my close personal friend, who uh-huh. once replied to a tweet I sent her. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a playwright, but also is a, a executive producer and writer of Succession. Said a surprisingly moving and beautiful journey through one man's shit show of a friend's death slash hangover. So those were positive reviews, mm. and then there was the private eye review. Not um, so positive. Yeah, which, I mean, we've read out a few long quotes, but I do think that this okay, captures something quite justified. well. Yeah, do you want to do it? Uh, well, let's do one paragraph okay. each just to break up the yeah, monotony. Yeah. Okay, do you want to do the first paragraph? <laughs> uh, it's the topmost layer of mean time, that's the name of the novel, that dominates the jokes. Oh, God, the constant jokes. Some are good, e.g. dead people always found by dogs because our bodies are an absolute treasure trove of bones. <laughs> <laughs> Some are baffling. Sex and drugs is like, quote, riding naked through your own childhood on a burning roller coaster. Uh-huh. I'm bammed. Yeah, very good. The beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lots are, in inverted commas, dark. One character, quote, looked like the star of a five-part docudrama about a game show host accused of necrophilia. Frankie Ball does like his necrophilia, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, this continual mugging to camera is not just dis- distracting, it's a structural flaw. You can't run a gritty drama with a vision of cloud- crowd-pleasing stand-up comedy. The relentless quipping feels more like a compulsion than a gift and makes the moments where Boyle tries to turn down the tone, for example, a tacton backstory explaining the death that traumatised him, makes those moments so out of place that they are more inadvertently hilarious than the gags. In the end, the reader feels sorry for Boyle. Is this really what he thinks a novel is? Just one damn thing after another, all mushed together with a paste made of wisecracks? He thinks in quips, which isn't how novels work. A novel succeeds when it does what only a novel could do. Most of Meantime would work best as tweets or sketches or riffs in the columns Boyle used to write for The Guardian. Um, so, yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty harsh, isn't it? 
Yeah, so... It, We're not going to have to read this, are we? No, I don't think so. We could just talk about it and criticise it without Yeah, I mean, we've successfully yeah, done three perfect. items so yeah. far on this podcast of things we've not seen or read. Yeah. Was... Um, but, uh, yeah, so I just was struck by both the positive reviews and the private eye review mm. that they're interested in this idea of a, common, a comedian writing a novel that's basically uses... Well, he, they describe it as jokes that paste it together. Yeah, um, and I think that is something where comedians who write novels quite often yeah, go wrong. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. And this question of like, is this what he thinks a novel is, suggests that there is a literariness that this that this comedian novel style does not mm. achieve. Comedians, it, there just seems to be a thing, doesn't there? At a certain point in a comedian's career, they think. I could write a novel. Yeah. I could write a novel. Well, I mean, I guess they've got a gift for dialogue and they've got mm. the structure, you structure a comedy routine, don't you? And it's a similar set of skills. But, uh, yeah, keep trying, comedians. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, one last thing on cancel culture, which is just... Oh, right, I was going to okay. say, I just wanted to say another another 18th century quote that I came up with recently, just as I was preparing this podcast, actually, mm. uh, you know, preparing my side of the research of the notes. Uh, Daniel Defoe lamenting the fraught relationship between intention and interpretation and offence in 1705 said readers fancy themselves lampooned and exposed in some characters which were never designed for them and so take a coat which was cut out for that which, which never which, was which never was cut out for that use so he's basically describing the phenomenon of hostile reading mm. bad faith interpretation yeah um, alright I won't do that anymore then <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> I tweeted that and then Helen Williams from the podcast you know, that, yeah, I'm sure it. that's how she identifies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, I'm Helen Williams from the podcast. The podcast. She yeah. tweeted me and said, "Are you, you okay, hon?" Wow. Mm. Thanks, Helen. Final yeah. section. Yeah. South Park. Come on down South Park and meet some friends, man. Yeah. So South Park is 25. It is, it's, yeah. It's uh, just on the cusp of being a, a Gen Zer, but is more of a millennial, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Good old, good old South Park. Yeah, 25 years what, of what South you, Park. What, what's your favourite? Have you My experience, followed it for a long time? Or? So this is one of those... I remember when South Park was new mm. and it was on Channel 4. And I can remember... It was one of those things, similar with my experience of The Simpsons as a kid. Like you see the icon, you see the images and the characters and stuff a long time before it yeah. ever comes on TV. So I'd I definitely kn- remember that with Simpsons because yeah. it was on like uh, Sky. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For same. a long time, so I knew. So I, re- I knew what a Bart Simpson. I'd like recognise yeah. Bart Simpson off of uh, the side of bouncy castles and yeah, things, and not yeah. really know what it was until. And the came. song. So the long time, and it was a slightly similar to South Park in that I remember seeing them and. Okay, and yeah, there's a whole like range of South Park merch in places like HMV and yeah. Zavi. Do you remember Zavi? Yeah, well, I was just remember? gonna say. Do you remember Zavi? <laughs> Do you remember in the 1990s. <laughs> That's from Mints. I was just gonna say, uh, I remember seeing Kenny Cuddly Toys at the fair. Mm. Wow. Like, you know, had, yeah. yeah, and didn't know what it was. I think it was a similar thing, but it was on Sky before it was on Channel 4, and then when it did come on Channel 4, there was like a South Park night. And yeah. I can remember, I don't, was it the first ever episode that had the anal probes in it? Like, Cartman, got, Cartman got an anal probe. Remember. I can remember that, and but it was, yeah. Um, but South Park, but I South think we Park. can agree, is satire. It is definitely satire, it's yeah. so satire. Um, and I think, because oh, I was thinking about this, and I was th- about this section, I was thinking about potential examples of my favourite bits. There's so many, but what I think is really good is the whole premise of South Park is there's no sacred cow they won't topple. Yeah. But also, they're quite careful i think 
in the, for, for instance, Cartman is the most bad faith actor you can imagine in any yeah. situation. So he'll always enact the worst possible way of uh, of drawing upon whichever, whatever fad or discourse it is yeah. they're parodying. But then they're usually quite careful not to actually attack the the, the good faith actor. Yeah, I think. yeah. The point is not that yeah. anxiety isn't a real thing. The point is that South that Cartman is a dick, and so yeah. he will like perform having anxiety in the most irritating way yeah. possible. Yeah. But I think sometimes with some of the things that he does, slightly in a way that does enable them to have the yeah. to have it both ways. So I mean, either Kyle or Stan will kind of criticise him for what he's doing yeah. in a way that you like that's where the risky part yeah. comes from, isn't it? And I think in contrast to something like The Simpsons, one of the reasons why South Park I think is as funny now or even better than it, it has been historically is because it's so topical mm. and the speed with which they write someone was telling me once that they they write the script, send it to another country to do the animation and like they turn an episode around in in less than a week which means that they're really topical um, but what you always get is whatever the topical thing is that they're satirizing through the lens of this dynamic between Cartman and Stan and yeah. Kyle and um, but then Kevin. they'll also do that with kind of um, long form narratives that cross a whole series like the member berries yeah, or yeah. Um, integrity farms or whatever that I mean I actually I'm not a big fan of them when they do that I no. prefer discrete stories that last one episode I, d I didn't like the member berries basically. but that was a really risky one for them to do because it was all about how nostalgia has taken over popular mm. culture Where, but you're watching a 25 year old yeah. cartoon but you're watching a new episode already, yeah. so it's fine yeah. yeah but speaking of old cartoons what's the cartoon they really don't like Family Guy Family Guy don't you ever ever compare me to Family Guy you hear me Kyle compare me to Family Guy again and so help me I will kill you where you stand do you have any idea what it's like Everywhere I go. Hey, Cartman, you must like Family Guy, right? Hey, your sense of humor reminds me of Family Guy, Cartman. I am nothing like Family Guy. When I make jokes, they are inherent to a story. Deep, situational, and emotional jokes based on what is relevant and has a point. Not just one random interchangeable joke after another. Yeah. And I think this is a really interesting contrast. I hate it. Well, I think it's the difference between Frankie Boyle and potentially... Jerry Sadowitz mm. or some of the other things. I mean, oh, no disrespect to Frankie Boyle. No, yeah. I, don't, I mean, maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's the difference between Frankie Boyle and someone who's... It's the difference between Frankie Boyle and Jerry Sadowitz, perhaps, and Burden Manning or something like that, mm. which is that you've got Family Guy says the unsayable for the sake of saying it. It's pure shock jock, isn't it? Like, it's all, like they, they did... In their second series, they had an episode that was banned, and yet on the DVD, it's like the episode that was like too controversial for TV. And it's called Wish Upon a Jew Star, and it's and it's full of it is pure, like it's it is purely anti-Semitic. Like there's not right, there's okay. no lens or frame for it. I suppose the only justification would be Peter is anti-Semitic, mm. and these are the anti-Semitic things that he believes. But but also he also to say them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas I don't think South Park ever does anything. I mean, sometimes it's gratuitous. Well, I mean, a similar a, a, a parallel to that would be the episode where Cartman um, is pretending to have Tourette's. And yeah. he says some really anti-Semitic things to yeah, Kyle yeah. and his family, yeah. and he is saying them. But I, I think the main joke is, like, Cartman's clearly taking the piss, and he yeah. so obviously hasn't got Tourette's. I suppose you could argue it's not a million miles away. No, but I think there's a, there's a self-consciousness and mm. a sort of there's a there's a point to what South Park is doing, and and I don't think I mean Cartman is anti-Semitic, isn't he? Performatively so. But then he's also constantly 
like he doesn't really succeed does he he's never the mm. victor and in the recent one where they jump forward to the future and they're on like covid 45 or something and they're all adults uh, he has converted to judaism <laughs> <laughs> i actually haven't seen that um, yeah so i mean it's it's undoubtedly satire and it does like you know it definitely has moments where especially i think where it's at its strongest where you're like fucking hell. yeah can't say that yeah what are your what are your favorite bits of- there's so many but it's just some recent ones i mean we talked about on the podcast the social distancing song that cartman came up with mm. where he is again the worst bad most bad faith actor where he's loving social distancing because he doesn't have to interact with anyone and he's convinced and he doesn't have to go to school crucially and he keeps yeah. faking internet blocking out so he doesn't have to do zoom tv it doesn't have to do zoom teaching and stuff yeah um, so that was very good. I enjoyed the PC principal stuff. I think PC yeah. principal is an interesting character because he is like he speaks in he's completely committed to social justice, to, and sometimes that's the joke. But the, I think in the episode he's introduced, it transpires that his fraternity, who are also woke bros, are actually abuse. They're soft boys. They're abusing mm. woke language to actually do exactly the same and, thing. And I think PC doing. principal emerges increasingly as quite a decent person, doesn't well, that, he? Yeah. He's, you know, he does mean well and he does That's want it. to do these things right. And it's a good example of so that South Park aren't saying a commitment to the genuine principles of social justice is a bad thing. It's saying look at the ways it can be abused mm. through the contrast between Yeah, and PC principal's just constantly exacerbated and disappointed in his yeah. Allies, isn't it? Even yeah. fellow allies. Social justice, one, two, three. Woo-woo. I wanna be PC. Woo-woo. It's just the way to be for me and you. We are language police, fighting bigotry. Hurtful words can suck our turns, cause it's PC for me and you. Woo-woo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah PC, bro. Um, similarly, his partner, strong woman, yeah, is a, is, yeah, has a similar. Who, who just becomes kind of increasingly frazzled and miserable yeah. and exhausted, yeah, as a result of the PC babies. Uh, the PC yeah. babies, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that whole storyline is is quite good. I think actually one of the one of the darker ones of of many dark ones is the um, the story about school shootings, where mm. Sharon, who is Stan's mum is the only one who seems to be upset by the regularity of school shootings yeah. and everybody else is just they, they all think she's being really annoying and randy his, her husband says like he gets this sort of emotional bit where he's like it's just awful every time there's a school shooting i'm just so it just makes me tense and nervous and miserable because i know sharon's going to be in a massive mood and he um he keeps saying it's because their period's due and that obviously initially frames him as like a terrible person but then she gets her period and she stops caring about the school shooting. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, so that's that's dark, but I think making the, the fuller episode of it does make some yeah. really important points about the extent to which it's becoming normalised that, you know, here's what you do, kids. If some maniac comes into yeah. the school with a gun, this is the protocol, this is what you do. And it's like, yeah. well, hang on, how is that? Yeah. How is it? How is that a normal part of life? I, I've always really appreciated the way that Cartman, like... Um, he he's always the vehicle for sort of aping um or parodying various forms and genres isn't he like whether it's that he is in a cop show or that he's like singing about cheesy puffs or um his pandemic song that you were talking about before mm-hmm. cartman is always kind of given the the parodic elements and they're always done really well for example respect my daughter 
um, and the cheesy purposes, as I said before. Cartman is head and shoulders the best character <laughs> in the whole thing, I think. Yeah. Who's your favourite character? It's Cartman. Okay. Yeah. But I really liked the, when, it, when Randy was the that's, singer Lord. That's exactly what I was Hi, thinking Lord. of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking of. And I remember the first time I saw the, the first introduction of Mr. Hankey, yeah. The Christmas Pooh. Yeah. That was... Um, Hi, You're so ignorant. That's one of my other favourite bits as well. Michael Jackson. Is ignorant? <laughs> yes. Brilliant. What a great yeah. TV programme. Congratulations great TV on 25 years. Yes, happy years. birthday, yeah. South Park. Long um, may you, you continue. lit and high-key satire and very, very peng. <laughs> so good for you. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you enjoyed our chilled out summer episode where we've talked about things tangentially related to satire that have been in the news. More hardcore satire next time. Yeah, hard hardcore books of which possibly one is definitely satire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in my opinion, but listeners are just gonna have to tune in and find out. There more is, and about there's that still opinion. time. There's extra time now to read them if you haven't read them already, mm. which is good. And they are The Echo Chamber by John Boyne, Vladimir, a novel by Julia May Jonas. And the plot. The plot. Jean how Corellates. Corellates, yeah. Corellates. Perfect. Yeah. So you can read one or all of those. Now you've had two months, I would suggest you read all of them. But you don't have to read any of them. However, like there will be really. spoilers, won't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, there's a point I really want to make about two out of these three books, mm. which is about the endings, yeah. and so it will be. But, I I mean, a podcast, it's not like in a lecture where I'll, I'll say something about the end and be like, well, I'm sorry if that's a spoiler, but you should have read it. Yeah. can't really... Can't really no. do that, can we? You can always pause it, read the book, and then come back. But I'd advise against doing that because it'll ruin our attention statistics. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just read them, and unless you don't just care about spoilers, them. just read the books. Jesus. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all good, entertaining books yeah. with funny yeah. moments. So uh, so that's next time. Coming up in the future, we've also got an episode uh, in development, which is going to be out about a new archive of materials written by, well, co- comedic poems written by women in the nineteenth century. Yep. Um, and lots more besides. And lots more besides. Anything? Have you got anything else on this? No, but you know, if, if you have any different thoughts on any of the stories we've talked about today, they're all divisive stories. We're still researching them. We'd be interested to hear from you. Mm. Do send us a tweet. I mean, all of the items today have come from people contacting us, asking what our thoughts are on them, haven't they? Which led us to this roundup. So keep those coming in. You can contact yeah. us in lots of ways, including satire at uh, Instagram satire at Instagram <laughs> talk, at, talk about satire on Instagram uh, uh, satire no more on Twitter on Twitter or send us a good old fashioned email at satire no more at gmail.com write us a letter write us a letter enclose a stamped addressed envelope yeah and send it to P.O. Box 43 that's, the, the that's one for the what, Gen Xers yeah Joe yeah. War care of the satire desk P.O. Box 43, London, W12, yeah. whatever CBBC was when I was a child. Yeah. Um, yeah. Send us your artwork. Yeah, send yeah. us your artwork and we'll burn it. <laughs> <laughs> to keep warm this winter yeah. in the apocalypse. Oh, God. Mm, yeah. yeah. But uh, ultimately, um, that's it. That's the end for now, yeah. So yeah. Uh, sit up. Shut up. And eat. Our. Satire. Tire. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye.
yes, officer? Uh, clocked at 40 miles an hour back there. Do you know what the speed limit is, you Well, according to that sign right there, it's 40 miles an hour. Step out of the car, please, sir. Wait a second. Aren't you Stan's little friend? Sir, step out of the car, please. Yeah, you're the one who always plugs up the toilet at our house. I am a cop, and you will respect my authority! Yeah, right. You better get back to school, little boy. Oh! Get your ass to jail! Ow! Hey, what the hell are you doing? You can't do that! Ow! 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 Ow